This episode of the Resourceful HDR podcast was recorded remotely using the Zoom software, so our apologies for any sound issues. My guest today on the Resourceful HDR podcast is David Evans. David is located in Brisbane and is a PhD candidate in the Department of Ancient History at Macquarie University, and his thesis is Paul and the Foundation of the Churches. Prior to enrolling in a PhD, David completed an MA in Theology, a Bachelor of Ministry at Malian Theological College, and a Grad Dip Ed at ACU. He was employed as a secondary teacher in Catholic and Lutheran schools and as a pastor at Singleton Baptist Church in Singleton, New South Wales for a period of two years. David was awarded two academic prizes in 2016, the David Barr Prize from the Australian College of Theology and the L.M. Dart Memorial Prize from Malian College. Winning a number of scholarships, the Macquarie Tyndale Scholarship in 2019 and the Faculty of Arts Candidate Conference Travel Scheme in 2018, gave David the opportunity to travel to the UK to visit Tyndale House, a research institute affiliated with Cambridge University, and to present a paper Defensive and Constructive Identity Formation in the Lives and Times of the Two Quadratuses of Athens at the British New Testament Society Conference held at St Mary's University, London, in September last year. Welcome, David. We've heard your bio, but I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, yeah, I can. Um, and we've got, we've got four kids. They're seven, and we've got twins who are five, and a little three-year-old. Yeah, I'm in my third year of, of my PhD, and doing that externally. I drink too much coffee, probably. I like riding my bike. It's my sort of uh, good way of getting to and from libraries for study and things like that. Um, yeah, and so I'm hopefully coming into the, the sort of pointy end of my thesis, I suppose. Yeah, mm. aiming to submit by early next year. Okay, could you tell me about your PhD topic and, and how you came to choose it? Researching um, Christianity in Athens in the first two centuries CE. So that's the Bible in the book of Acts. We have um, the, the story of Paul's mission in Athens. It sort of includes a bunch of other places, but he goes through Athens and the churches started there. Um, and then as we work through the, the first and second centuries, we have some Athenian apologists in the second century. So they're um, Christian leaders who spoke to or wrote to emperors and other influential people, essentially advocating for the Christians, saying, can you please stop arresting us and, and taking away our property and, and, uh, uh, and things like that, uh, because we're not a blight on society. And so, but uh, looking, at those, looking at those Christian texts, and and trying to put them in the context of of Athens, what's happening when these things are being written, and uh, and so trying to develop a bit of a picture, a bit of a story of of how the church interacted with its society around it at the time in this sort of uh, ancient urban context. I suppose I'm trying to get that picture of of how did they. Yeah, how did they dwell? What were the the pressures on them? How are they responding to it? What did you know? What were the the sort of demographic makeup? And yeah, how they're interacting with with the world around them. How did I get to the topic? When I was in pastoral ministry, I was I was doing a master of arts in theology, and I was reading a book that was particularly urging churches, urging Christians to to sort of focus their energy on ministry in cities sort of arguing there's lots of the population shift around the world is towards cities 
And so focus on that. He made some particular arguments from the book of Acts, um, particularly it's the book of Acts is interested in cities and, and Paul's mission to cities. And, uh, but I thought the, the argument that he made, I know I had some questions about, I didn't think was all that convincing. And so in my, in my master of arts, I had to do a research project, a sort of 15, 20,000 word research project. And so I, I took up that question of why is the author of Acts so interested in cities and how does that relate to, to that book in particular? And anyway, so that, that kind of piqued my interest in, in early Christianity in that ancient urban context. So when I eventually came to thinking about the, about the PhD and what topic I might do, that was, that was the, really the driving interest that I had. I wanted to continue looking at, looking at that topic. And, uh, and so as I discussed with my or potential supervisor then, now my supervisor, we threw around a couple of ideas of, of how I might approach that reasonably broad <laughs> um, area. Because um, I was originally thinking along the lines of a biblical, theological, sort of a theology of the city in the New Testament or something like that. But being in the ancient history department at Macquarie, he, he was sort of suggesting um, some a more of a historical approach, which is what we went with in the end. And, and it's, it's been interesting taking, taking that angle and, and looking particularly at, at one city and the development, the shifts throughout that two century kind of time period. Yeah, so it was to get to the topic, when I first was introduced to, the, to thinking about early Christianity in the ancient world, I wasn't thinking about doing a PhD and then sort of feeling uncomfortable with a, with a person's argument about it led me into a bit more exploration. And then, uh, which then as I came to doing the PhD was sort of like, actually, I really want to look at this more because it, it sort of needs exploring. Yeah. What led you to enroll in? You've, you've sort of touched on that, but if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I was at that undergraduate stage, I, yeah, I remember thinking that I'm, I liked the idea of doing a PhD. I, I respected my lecturers. I liked the sort of that they did research and they, and they were well informed on these things. And I, I liked the idea of it, but I didn't think that it was something that I would be able to do. And as far as my academic achievement in my first undergraduate degree goes, it wasn't something that was immediately obviously <laughs> a pathway that I would pursue. But as I sort of, as I did more study, I trained as a high school teacher after doing that first uh, undergraduate theological degree. Um, so I trained as a teacher and then I did my master of arts. And as I sort of went, I'd, I learned how to study really. I learned how to be a student more and more. And so my, I guess, academic ability, my grades improved and things like that. And so when I was in my master of arts, I was doing reasonably well to then be able to think, oh, you know, maybe further research is actually a possibility just on the basis of what are the requirements to get in and, and am I meeting those? And I sort of was. So there was, so I, I had an interest, I suppose, from early on and then the possibility of actually being able to, to meet the requirements was something that came along as I studied more. And I mentioned before about the, I suppose, the motivation that came out of that reading and that particular research question about early Christian cities, that kind of thing. So there was something that I was 
actually interested in researching to, to then take further, I suppose. And so while I was, I was doing my, that research project, doing that Master of Arts while I was in pastoral ministry, and I, I had a few people around me at the time, and these were trusted people, friendly people, people that knew me and people that liked me or whatever, uh, but a few different people say that approached me and said, "Look, we think you're doing fine as a as a pastor. We we like you. We like you, you know, preaching or leadership or whatever, and that's all good. But actually, we think you'd make a pretty good Bible college lecturer type person, more of a teaching role than a than a church leadership role. Maybe you should think about." you know, doing, doing whatever you sort of need to do to do that. And, and that, you know, that includes doing a PhD, doing research and to meet sort of qualifications for that. And that was fairly, well, as far as I remember, that was unsolicited. I wasn't really asking them what they thought about this idea, but rather that they suggested these things sort of out of the blue. And, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't just them wanting me to ask the church. Um, the, the, as in the people that said it were, were, that's not what they were gunning for or whatever. Anyway, but so there was a bit of, there was a few things that came together as far as actually having a, an area of, of interests to pursue, having that previous interest from when I was an undergraduate, but then, you know, actually having the, the marks to kind of get there. And then, and then there was this extra unsolicited encouragement to, to do it. And so from that, from that point, I still had, I was sort of halfway through the, the Master of Arts. And so I had to finish that off. And then there was still the applying and enrolling, which, which was obviously by no means kind of guaranteed to, to get in. And, and I, I needed to, I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about family stuff, but I've got young children. And so my wife and I, we decided that, if I could get a scholarship and study full time, then, then I'd do it. But if I was going to be working and then studying on top of that, it wasn't going to be great with the sort of life stage that we're at with our kids. And so get that uh, scholarship if I was going to do it at this stage anyway. And so that there was, there were those extra requirements, I suppose, for that, that's sort of constellation of different things happening led to actually going, Oh yeah, I'm going to enroll in this thing. You know, <laughs> this is something that I'm going to try and do. Yeah, no. So it's interesting. I guess one of the things you, you, you've really talked about there though is that real interest you know because my experience working with people in PhD programs other research training programs is that it's pretty tough and you've got a tougher road in many ways being a distance but it's it really has to have that uh, strong desire to mm. do the research you know to actually be interested in the topic and you know as you said you've got all these other things that were, were sort of more like getting the, the study skills the self-belief and those sorts of things and then having people encourage you as well uh, as you say it's a real uh, important sort of constellation but having that strong interest is is absolutely key i would think yeah yeah absolutely we've um talked about you you know how you enrolled in it and so on of course you're in, located in brisbane which is a bit unusual in that you're <laughs> a distance student um yes. So how did that come about? Yeah, as as I was thinking about um, thinking about my potential topic or the area of research uh, that I wanted to look at, I spoke to the the guy who had supervised my Master of Arts project, just about who are the people that would be good people to talk to to su potentially supervise this this area, and and he suggested one person who's over at the University of Otago over in New Zealand and then um, and a couple of the guys that are that are at Macquarie in the ancient history department so I 
you got in touch with the Macquarie guys a little bit more easier. I, I mean, again, as a family, um, it was going to be easier for us or more possible for us if I could stay in Brisbane and and study externally. Again, we've got kids. One of my one of my children uh, has some significant disability, and so we've got a good support network with family and church and things like that in Brisbane and therapists that that work with her. And and so we didn't really want to upset that and have to kind of recreate that afresh. Anyway, so we wanted to be able to stay in Brisbane. Again, the the opportunities of, of studying through either the University of Queensland or one of the theological colleges in, in Brisbane wasn't, uh, there wasn't really the supervisors available at UQ and we were looking for, a, looking for a scholarship and things like that. And so that wasn't really available through the smaller colleges. And so there was kind of the practical need of needing to be in a university context and the good people in the, in the department at, at Macquarie who were working in the in the specific field that I was interested to look at. Yeah, and so that's, that was, those again, a few of the reasons that, that led to enrolling at Macquarie. And yeah, we we're fortunate to be able to stay in Brisbane and, and be able to do this externally and do it externally full-time, not, not part-time, and, and base myself here, basically. And so I've, I've visited Sydney a number of times, as in come to, come to be on campus a number of times, but not a whole lot, really, through my candidature sort of uh, hitting some of the milestones and things like that and coming down for conferences but but it's only been a few times each year I suppose yeah thanks for that because I think that's an interesting story to find out how this came about and of course since you're located in Brisbane how have you managed to create a support network while doing a PhD because we know that's absolutely crucial to Mm. uh, manage the ups and downs of a PhD program yeah so well in the first instance i i did my undergraduate and then master's theological degrees at at one of the colleges here in brisbane and i i tutored here for a year as well sort of at, at this particular college and so when i when i enrolled in the phd um they were willing at least to to let me sort of use a desk in the library and to sort of be around and since you know knowing the faculty having been on staff and things like that there was there was a, a support network or at least a bit of a community there to be a part of and to, to have people to talk to. And they've, I mean, been interested, been asking me how I'm going along the way, you know, been encouraging. And so having that relationship with one particular college was was helpful, has been helpful, is still helpful. But it was still, still isolating in that I was sort of a PhD, PhD student and didn't really have any other PhD students around me just to have that sort of peer sort of support or peer network. And I got, I was very jealous in the ancient history department at Macquarie. They have essentially weekly seminars where they get to share research and hear things and, and do all that kind of stuff uh, from a distance pining for something like that. But yeah, so I, I started to look around basically to see if there was anyone else in a similar situation who was working on a PhD, but essentially a lone wolf, you know, without much, without much going around. Um, I suppose I started looking, asking the various university representatives, I suppose, people in in relevant departments to see if they had any research seminars to get along to and to to join in with and and was fairly unsuccessful in finding those just because of the particular area that I was that I was looking for. Uh, yeah, but I, anyway, so I looked around for if there was other people in the same sort of boat and and found a couple, found a few. There were a, f- a couple of people at UQ uh, who were doing research in, in biblical studies and there, there wasn't much of a, 
there weren't many sort of research seminars or anything like that at the time. They've actually, they've got more now than they did, you know, a couple of years ago. And so, and so they, you know, when I spoke to them and I said, look, I'm doing a PhD, I'm feeling pretty isolated. I don't know how you guys are going, but I was thinking it'd be good to catch up regularly. And, and they were like, yes, we feel exactly the same. You know, this, we're just sort of, we're, we've been, you know, plugging away by ourselves or whatever, but would be very happy you know, to catch up. And, uh, and so we formed a bit of a post-grad lunch group. And so we get together uh, every couple of months just to, just to have lunch together and talk about where we're up to and talk about supervisor relationships and, and talk about particular research challenges or questions or, or what, where we're up to in our candidature, what sort of milestones we're facing and, and things like that. And so that's, it's been a good it's been a good support sort of group to have. Um, we were pretty regular early on. In my second year, I was less good at uh, kind of organizing things. And so it was a bit more sporadic. But then this year, we've been a bit more regular again. So it's been, uh, it's been nice. Um, yeah, we've had, had a couple of people graduate as well, which is good. And that have still been catching up with us as early career researchers or whatever. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, so I just had, I suppose in, in short, I just had to look around and see who was there. And it turned out that there was other people in a similar situation. And so there's a group of, and I think we might have eight or 10 people now on a sort of contact list, I guess, from four or five different colleges and unis that, yeah, that don't have big cohorts. So they're happy to sort of get together and, and catch up and, and help. Yeah, no, that's, that's excellent. And, you know, of course, the name of this podcast is Resourceful HDR. You have illustrated so well with that story. So well done. Being at distance, of course, your supervisor is not somewhere just around the corner and you have to work out how to manage that relationship. So how do you do that from a distance? Mostly for us, it's by email, really, just emailing um, sort of back and forth. I'm sending, you know, sending through chapters that I've written, getting feedback. My supervisors have been good with getting in contact about various resources or opportunities or things that are coming up to, you know, to get involved in and to, and to, and to do or whatever, or, or, yeah, helpful sort of resources that are relevant to my project. And, yeah, whenever I'm, I've got a question or there's some issue or whatever I need to jump on the email and, and get in touch and, and everything it has I mean my supervisors have been really good at responding quickly to emails and, and with written stuff in particular you know looking at it and, and getting back pretty quickly with meaningful comment and interaction with it in you know sort of group of other postgrad folks that I catch up with of you know others we're talking about that supervisors taking a longer time to get back to them and I think if I was at a distance and that was the case where I was waiting for a long time, it would be very difficult. But to get fairly quick turnaround and fairly easy communication has been very crucial. Yeah, and so I haven't, I haven't really felt like I've been left hanging, uh, which has been really great. I think I've needed to be, or I'm learning maybe, or have have been learning uh, more and more that as a distance student, because you don't have that sort of bumping into each other in the hallway kind of experience. I've needed to be proactive 
in, in seeking help, I guess. Like if there's a particular question or if there's something that I'm feeling is, is not coming together or, or whatever, it's easy just to kind of want to, to fade away a bit, but it's necessary, I think, to, to actually go, oh, this is not really going very well. What should we do with this situation? And that hasn't, that hasn't really come up very much. But yeah, since there's not that, that kind of natural in the same, in the same building sort of thing, that, la- that the onus for getting help for that is on me rather than you know my my supervisors aren't going to miraculously intuit something from a thousand kilometers away or whatever yeah and so uh and so the responsibility is yeah is is on me more and more i think in, in that regard to be proactive in looking for that help if i need it mm. and, and that's actually a good mindset to have you know to take forward into employment and so on always being mm. a proactive person so you know i guess from something that is potentially more difficult you know that it, it actually pushes you to take on that responsibility as you say mm. during the phd you've traveled to the uk and you've presented at two conferences one in london and one in brisbane what difference do you think that that has made to your phd candidature yeah i think um there's probably a few things to say about that one i think presenting at conferences has been it's helpful on a number of levels. I mean, going to conferences is helpful, just hearing different research, meeting different people, and the sort of networking that happens with that is is helpful. But particularly presenting, I've found you can, you know, you do your research, you write a, a chunk of uh, write a chunk of stuff. And I mean, conferences, one for me, have given me a hard deadline to work towards to have something coherent to say. But probably with um, yeah, so I'm in a presented in London and one in Brisbane and then just recently in Sydney and particularly with the most recent one in Sydney, I think there was, it was a section which is really important for my thesis, but, and, and I was not feeling particularly confident about. And so being able to, you know, having the opportunity to present it at a conference, one was really nerve wracking, but two, it sort of demystified whether this was whether I was on the right track or not, because I was able to get that immediate sort of feedback from people who knew what they were talking about, uh, which was great. And I mean, thankfully, it was fairly positively received or whatever, but people still had, you know, oh, what about this? Um, you should look at this, you know, particular text or this, whatever. And and so there's the opportunity for improvement on your work just from that back and forward sort of interaction around it uh, at the conference. And so I've, I've found that with each of those times there'll be things that I've been able to do to improve on on my work because of that presenting and the questions and interaction around it so hopefully uh, overall you know that's going to be helping improve the quality of my thesis having done those things I went to I went to the UK in January this year I was the in the ancient history department one of the scholarships you can apply for is the is the Macquarie Tyndale scholarship which which helps cover cover the funds and everything flights and so on to go and spend four weeks at Tyndale House which is a biblical research center in Cambridge it's got it's connected to the university in Cambridge and and so that I mean that was excellent just to have four weeks of very intensive focused work time again being being able to not have to think about all regular sort of responsibilities as far as kids and life and stuff um and just have uh, have some pretty intensive research and writing time was was very helpful 
for me. <laughs> um, so that was, uh, I don't know, just helped me get a, a fairly decent chunk of writing done, which was, uh, which was good. I mean, again, there was the opportunities for meeting people and, and networking and things like that. But more importantly, I suppose, and especially as a, as a distant student, again, it was another research community kind of opportunity. And so the, at Tyndale House, there's, uh, there's people who are there uh, longer term, there's people who are there for shorter stints like I was, and from all around the world, really. And so it gives a really good opportunity. You know, everyone's there for research and so on. So you have morning tea, you have afternoon tea or whatever, and you're standing around talking about what you're working on and people ask you difficult questions and it's great. And it made me feel exceptionally uh, dumb, really, compared to some of the people. But, but it, was, it was good to, to ha have people poking holes in, in what I was doing and asking questions. And, and so, that, again, it was just a, another intensive time of, of that kind of thing to, to then sharpen up my thinking and to think, oh, I had missed this. I need to need to look into that or whatever. Being over there, I was able also to use the Cambridge University Library, which is massive and has everything. And and I was able to find books that I didn't know existed that it would have been really bad if I hadn't interacted with them in my research. And so it was really crucial kind of stuff which didn't appear on any uh, or any sort of library searches or whatever here in here in Australia. And so going there, finding that was, again, I think will have improved things a lot, actually. Yeah, so that was good. So very, very valuable by the sounds of all of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you were lucky because, as you say, you've got the family and being in Brisbane, the, the support network allowed you to go, whereas if you had relocated to Sydney, you, know, you may not have been able to do those things. Yeah. So yeah, be because you're a father of four young children, you know, what have been the biggest challenges for you and of course for your family? Yeah, I think the biggest, the biggest ongoing challenge is finding that balance between, between study and research and then actually being present and available for, for my family. So trying to switch off from thinking about things and, and then be focused to give the attention to, yeah, to Aaron, my wife and my, you know, my kids that they really deserve. And, and so that's an ongoing challenge, which depending on where I'm up to with research and writing or preparing for a conference or something, I've been varyingly successful or unsuccessful, you know, in, <laughs> in doing that well. And so, so that, I mean, that's an ongoing sort of ongoing challenge. I think that actually enforces something really positive though in that it helps me not be overrun by my thesis I suppose and to and to not get so engrossed that it's uh, an unhealthy kind of all-consuming thing it's it sort of forces me to have to go oh no it's this time of day I have to go home now and and be there and and everything and so there's definitely times when I've wanted to continue working into the night or something like that, but you know you can't do that when there's when there's family at home to go to go home to and so and so that's been I think beneficial for probably emotional and and mental health and everything just to to have that as a as a restricting kind of factor on on my time for research and work. Having a family and being being a student for one, I mean, there's there's various financial sort of stresses or whatever um, as a as a full time student, but there's a lot of talk about how the especially in the academic sector the sort of employment possibilities you know look is looking reasonably bleak or you know casualization of of that industry and and all of that and so that is a stressor to to some degree thinking well i really would like to be able to work in this field and i'd 
like to be able to do that so that I can continue to provide for my family and all those kinds of things. And so that's an interesting question as I sort of reach the end, what's going to be next? I mean, we mentioned before that I was qualified as a teacher and all that kind of thing. So there's, there's other opportunities that I can fall back on fairly naturally. But yeah, just thinking going, oh, this is a, if this is an unstable kind of field, employment-wise, that'll be interesting to navigate when there's the, the extra responsibility of looking after a bunch of humans. <laughs> and I guess that's the other thing for people with families is that you're not as mobile. So, you know, mm. if you were a single man or even just as part of a couple without having the children yet, then you could travel to another country to work. There'd yep. be all those different things that would be open to you, which, as you said, with um, having a number of children and one with special needs, is that means that you are more restricted to mm. what you can do and how mobile you are. You know, think of all that. And I know this isn't something that you really want to possibly talk about yet, but um, what, what plans do you have? when you complete your PhD? Grimaces? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I went into the went into the PhD with the idea of lecturing in a in a theological college kind of context, and that's I suppose that's still Plan A if it's if it's possible to do. But I mean, as I've been going along, and and particularly, I mean, I did my previous study in that theological college space, and then doing the PhD in the university space, I've been able to see a bunch of different avenues of scholarship or academic work where I can pursue my particular uh, field, particular line of research. It's still in in that university context, and so and there's you know there's strengths and weaknesses either way, I suppose. Whether if there's the opportunity for a more research heavy direction, or whether it's more of a teaching kind of direction. Yeah, so I suppose as I've gone along, I've I've seen the different opportunities that are around, and think. You know, I'm fairly happy to see what opportunities open up rather than being really one-eyed about a particular thing that I'm looking for. And yeah, and again, I suppose even if I ended up high school teaching again, for how it, whether it's a long or short kind of thing, I would like to be able to continue on in sort of scholarly pursuits, I suppose, research and conferences and publishing or whatever along the way. And so if it means, yeah, if continuing in, in academic pursuits means finding a creative way to do that, I think it'll be interesting to see what that might look like. Yeah, so I, it's... I'd love to have some set plans that I knew what was happening when I finished, but I don't. And <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what opens up, yeah. Professor John Crumboltz from Stanford University just died last week at 90, though, and his work is all about serendipity and planned happenstance, and so the planned part of the happenstance, the sort of things that you do, you know, you put yourself in the right places, you create opportunities, and, and then people are aware of, of who you are and what you do, and, and this is where the luck can come into it because you've sort of created it. So really, you know, having that open mind is a very good way to approach it. So having a clear idea of what matters to you, which you do, so I feel that you'll build on those networks you already have and understanding what you need to create something for yourself that will fulfill those different needs. What do you wish you'd known before you commenced the PhD? What would you tell some other PhD hopeful? For somebody who was looking at the at the looking at applying, pursuing the opportunities that are that are on offer, I suppose. But and then there's in the the nitty gritty of that is is make sure you know what the opportunities are that are there. <laughs> Just thinking that I'm doing German for for academic purposes course through Macquarie at the moment that I I didn't actually know about until too late in my second year to do it. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so I'm in my third year doing this uh, German thing, and, which is excellent. I really am enjoying it and it's fantastic and helpful, but it, it could have been helpful a few years ago. <laughs> so I mean, that, that was sort of the thing that jumped to mind as far as the practical thing uh, that would have been helpful. I mean, I didn't really go into the PhD thinking that I wanted to be, to be a lone wolf in any way. I mean, being an external student was was a necessity or, or practical rather than wanting to avoid people and wanting to um, be at a distance or whatever. But I think, yeah, I would. I mean, if I was thinking of advice I'd give to someone looking at doing a PhD, I would encourage them to be proactive in engaging broadly with other people, other researchers, other scholars, other students. Sort of proactively developing the networks that are that are there to be developed, I suppose. So, I mean, we spoke about conferences and going to those and, and presenting things. And there's a whole lot of benefit there for your own work as far as getting helpful, hopefully constructive criticism and, you know, hopefully improving how you're thinking on things as people question you and, and poke holes in a friendly way, I guess, in, in what you're doing. But it's also really beneficial, I think, and, and something that I think is, is really valuable is that we're developing good networks amongst scholars, amongst researchers within a field and and across fields interdisciplinary sort of networks as well where we're fostering fruitful partnerships in, in research and scholarship and if you go to a conference not just attending and then leaving but to forming relationships with people that, that can hopefully be positive and be productive in some sense into the future yeah so I guess an, an openness to not just be looking at your thesis as the only thing that you're doing as far as the body of text that you're going to write but to be getting connected into the broader scholarly field to the broader uh, academic field that you're working in to be able to hopefully contribute I mean benefit yourself but then benefit other people as well with how you're working with them okay well thanks so much David for joining me I appreciate your time yeah thank you very much for having me